Joe David Wilson has graduated from this life. Going forward, we will continue to honor his legacy, knowledge, and love of thy Lord by continuing to play sermons pre-recorded prior to his graduation. We invite you to honor his memory by attending worship services or joining us online for a further Bible study. Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. Searching His mind, we can always be sure our salvation will not be based on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida. Bible study courses and personal teaching are available. We purpose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so for that reason, we begin this study this morning. I, I, I've for years, have been able to quote Acts 22.16. If you have your Bibles, turn there. The Bible says, and this is from uh, a messenger sent from Jesus Christ named Ananias. I preached a sermon not too long about back. Where is Ananias? There's a lot of people that are looking for Ananias because he's not been around to teach them. Uh, they've not believed what uh, Ananias preached. And so because of that, we're looking for him. But in Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus, and he said, The Lord, even Jesus, whom thou hast seen in the way, uh, hath heard his voice, that you might believe. Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I have known this verse for years. I've used it in teaching people what to do to be saved. I have always been consistent in knowing that what Ananias was telling Saul of Tarsus was not something that Saul was being told by Ananias just to get him some little cult or in, in any sense of the word to humiliate him to get him to do something he didn't want to do. Nor do I think that Saul of Tarsus was telling Ananias uh, Ananias was telling Saul of Tarsus something to do which made his mom and his daddy look bad. I was teaching a woman one time and she said well now if I obey the gospel my husband is lost. I said, well, where is your husband? Let's teach him so he doesn't have to be. Oh, he's dead. Well, I said, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. She said, well, if I obey the gospel, that means he's lost, so I don't want to obey the gospel because I don't want to condemn him. I said, later there's nothing you can do to condemn him. If in the freelance of God's passion attempting for a moment to make an argument where you've not thought if he obeyed the gospel and you didn't know it because there's a lot of times people do things that their mates don't know and you're not baptized into Christ and he was what then oh she means she said well then he'd be saved and I'd be lost I said, but you see, Jesus only was the sacrifice of the world. He doesn't need another one. You don't need to sacrifice yourself. You need to allow, let the dead bury the dead, like Jesus said. They will be judged by the word of God. And if he's dead, he's already judged. You don't need to worry about him. 
You need to worry about yourself. But for years I've known this verse of Scripture. And I've used it about everywhere I go. But lately it seems like I've been more entertained by the fact of finding out that there's more concrete evidence to the truth than I'd ever thought that was possible. Now, there's two little words we're going to talk about this morning. And one of them is the Greek word luo. And the other one is the Greek word lutron. Now if you have the opportunity to have a strong concordance with the names of the Greek words are there, uh, luo and apoluo are words which you'll find with a number like 628 or something like that. Where you find luo is number 3068. That helps you. And you can look up the definitions and follow me as I go. So, you've got to wash away your sins. When I first looked at this, I saw that the action was not something that Saul did. It was done to him. And I started looking at this word wash. And I found that this was, interestingly, one of the most instructive words of the New Testament. Are you ready? Luo means to wash the body of a dead person. Now, denominationalism has gone around all these years and told people that they don't have to be baptized to be saved. That they're saved when they're baptized. And their baptism is just an outward sign of an inward grace done to show the world that they're already saved. Well, folks, if this word is true to its Greek definition, only people who are dead can be washed. It has the second definition, is to wash the wounds and cleanse them that came about because of battle. A third definition which helps you define the word is this is the whole body. Now these people that have had water sprinkled on them, they call that baptism, have not misunderstood what their denominational pastor taught them because they've spent billions of dollars. They think that... uh, Our president can spend money. Can you imagine the money that they've spent on trying to convince people that they are servants of God? We got a new one out today. And they got some old boy with his shirt on backwards and he's got some kid and he's uh, taking that kid and taking his head and running it under some sprinkling of water. And they say, come back to the first church. Man, I'm going to tell you what, they don't know what first or second is. The Bible talks about washing the whole body. That takes sprinkling away from it. There's no way unless you're under a runoff of a waterfall that you're going to have anything like that could be possible. That takes care of the sprinkling. That takes care of the kind of person 
That takes care of the type of understanding. That takes care of what Ananias was telling Saul of Tarsus. Now look at me. In the book of Revelation, the first chapter, in the fifth verse, now unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins. This is the same word. Washed the dead body. When you wash a dead body, you know whose body you're washing. When you wash a dead body, you wash the whole body. You get rid of the wounds that were incurred in a war or in a battle for your life. The rule that is mentioned here in the Greek language takes care of any question that would be involved in any time that would ever be considered in the subject. These people that have had water sprinkled on them have never had their bodies washed. Now they were dead. The way you die is to be separated from God by sin. Now, if you're separated from sin, you have to wash the body, the whole body, of the dead person. And somebody says, washed in what? Well, in Revelation 1 and 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own The dead body is washed in water where the blood is applied. And when the blood is applied and the body is washed, then a person is forgiven of sin, but it has to be the whole body that's washed. You can't just sprinkle something on it and let on like that You've done what God wants you to do. Somebody says, well, I've heard this all my life. Well, there's a lot of things you hear all your life. The question is whether you're going to be obedient to what God has commanded. In the book of Revelation, while you're there, look at the seventh chapter and the fourth verse. Here he says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And they were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of Judah. These were those who were washed in the blood of Christ. How do you know? Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the 11th verse. Paul, writing to the church of Christ in Corinth, said very plainly and very succinctly this. He says, but such were some of you. Are you there? But such were some of you. But you were, there's our word, washed. All the Corinthians were washed. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now these Corinthians had done what Paul had commanded them to do as the Holy Spirit had instructed the Apostle Paul as they were commanded to wash the dead person or the body of the dead person. Dead because they were separated from sin. 
from God in sin. Dead because they hadn't left the blood of Christ. Dead because they've committed sin. The idea that somebody has telling you that you don't have to be baptized to be saved or telling you you don't have to beat the blood of Christ. In the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, if you want to look at the 13th chapter, the first verse, in that day there shall be a fountain open. This fountain is that blood of Christ that was washing away our sins. And when this fountain would be opened, God said, He's going to wash people in their sin and wash their sins away. I had never thought much about this, and so I began to chase this word around, and I found it in some places that helped me understand verses of Scripture that I'd never understood before. Turn with me to the book of John, the 13th chapter. You that have studied with me for years know I've lamented about this openly because I never could figure out exactly what was going on. And by being that and understanding that, I never could appreciate what Jesus was telling the disciples at the Last Supper. Look at John 13, verse 8. Jesus cometh, verse 16, to Simon Peter, and Peter says to them, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? See, Peter understood the action. Oh, Jesus said unto him, What I do thou knowest, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Listen to that, folks. If I wash thee not. Somebody says, well, I don't believe i got to be baptized to be saved. Well, then that's okay with me. You just have to understand the ramifications of what's said. Thou shalt have no part with me. Simon Peter said to them, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet, head. Jesus said to them, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you're clean, but not all. Simon, you've come a long way, buddy, but you've not been washed in the blood. You don't understand that what I'm doing is to show you that I will be the one who washes you to cleanse you. If you don't participate in this washing of the whole person, what God has decided and planned in order to save you, to meet the blood of Christ, Jesus said, I have to tell you, you have no part with me. Now, you say, well, what are we doing with the word lutra? Well, I was hoping you'd ask. That's our word that comes about by washing a part of the body. But I said, well, I I'd get some sprinkling in here somewhere. Well, now, wait a minute. The inference is, until the body is washed wholly of the dead person, the sprinkling cannot occur on the soul and spirit. This is, it's interesting, you know, if these people who are pedo-baptists, and we won't use words you don't know, if these people who are sprinklers could have gotten somebody to change the Greek, and they could have used the Greek word lutron for luo, 
Man, they'd have been right up the tree and smiling and been talking to you about a verse of Scripture. I often wonder. Now, maybe you have too. Why denominational preachers don't use the Bible? Because everything they believe that they can prove by the Bible, they've always got the Bible and they'll just run that verse right out in front of you. They love John 3.16. If they knew what it meant, they'd never ever quote it. But they just bring out John 3.16 all the time. Well, why don't they use Acts 22.16? Because they have no comfort there. They have no instruction there. In fact, I was, as a young man, teaching a Sunday school class with the two Baptist preachers attending because the Sunday Baptist Cemetery sent them. And we discussed and studied the book of Acts. And finally one morning, one of them admitted that baptism was where you met the blood of Christ and washed away your sins. They fired him, I guess, because he never did come back. But the evidence of the scriptures was so strong that in discussion even he couldn't deny it. Now folks, watch. Where is it that the part of man is sprinkled? Oh, okay. I was going to hope you had access anticipation until the time that you would know this. Turn to Titus 3 and 5. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, the fountain. Is here mentioned. The fountain is the washing. It's the sprinkling of the part of man that we can't touch. Now I can reach out and touch the body. You seen that commercial reach out and touch someone? When I reach out and touch someone, I never touch their soul and spirit. You ever reached out and touched somebody's soul and spirit physically with your hands? I've done that through the preaching of the word, but I've never done it by hand. So I've got to go to something that will touch the soul and spirit of man. I've got to so go to someone who touches the soul and the spirit of man. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Paul writing to the Hebrew brethren talks about the blood of Abel. And he said the blood of Abel doesn't speak the same thing as the blood of Christ. Now with me, Hebrews the 12th chapter. And the 24th verse. Are you ready? And to Jesus, the blood of the new covenant, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, what the blood of sprinkling does is speak or talk or teach or tell. This is what happens when the body is being washed the blood of Christ is being sprinkled on the soul and spirit so that the entirety of mankind is washed in the blood of Christ. Now there's no way that some denominational rev can take some water, be it pure water, be it sulfur water, 
be it hydrogenized water if they make such an animal, or even if it's the pulse water, and reach the soul and the spirit. There's no water physically that I know of that can reach the soul. That anatomical part of man that we can't see, but we know exists. But there is something that will allow our sins to be forgiven. As it is the blood that washes the dead body of the person, it is the blood that was opened in the fountain, Zechariah 13, 1-7. It is that blood that Jesus uses, and that's His blood, that sprinkles the soul and spirit of man. The entirety of man is then forgiven. Soul, spirit, and body. And it all occurs in the washing. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but it's according to His mercy He has saved us. By the washing of regeneration. In the regenerating act, when God is forgiving you of your sin, He takes His blood and sprinkles. Now, somebody says, well, I don't quite understand that. Well, the high priest in the Old Testament, when he would take the blood of a sacrificed lamb into the Holy of Holies, he would take it into a container. And as he would go around the four horns of the altar, he would sprinkle the blood on the four horns of the altar. Symbolizing the purification and the forgiveness in rolling ahead of the sin a year at a time. Here Jesus Christ takes his blood and he sprinkles. It's the symbol of purification that was the same as was done in a physical sense in the Old Testament covenant in the New. But it's done at the same time that the body is being washed, the dead body that is. Now, if somebody will say that's just the washing of, of the body, you've got to go back to the Greek language, you've got to go back to the scholars, you've got to go back to the people that spoke it in the first century, you've got to go back because they misunderstood the use of the word. And when Saul of Tarsus was told to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, he's going to have his dead body washed. Not in blood, but in water. And the water is that which was the element that would wash the whole body, not just a part. But as a symbol of forgiveness, while the body is being washed, the blood is being sprinkled. And the soul and the spirit of man is being purified. Now, if you miss this, and misunderstand these verbs and these words, you misunderstand the plan of God. Let me show you another one. Turn to the book of Ephesians. I, I looked up many verses of Scripture and tried to look up this word and follow it around because to make uh, an argument on a word is an interesting thing, but it has to mean that every time you find that word used. 
in Ephesians 5 and verse 26. It says, That he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water. By the word. Now, he's going to wash. This was a participatory part of Apollo, which is a, another word which came from Lutron. There's where we understand the plan of God and of us who have been obedient to it that we might know of salvation. Now, I like this because the Bible teaches it in the same sense. Turn to the book of First John, the first chapter and the seventh verse. John says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. Now the question is, how do you get in the light? Well, somebody says, I don't know, but I'm going to help you out. Who's the light? Well, Jesus said he is the light of the world. If you walk in Christ, if you walk in light, how do you get in Christ? Well, I know how to get in Christ. How do you get in light? Well, until I understand who the light is, I don't know how to get in the light. If you walk in the light, if you walk in Christ, or if you continue obedience to Christ. Now, I can show you how to get in Christ. You ready? Let me just take a little little separation of thought here and get you in Christ in a hurry. You ready? Romans 8 and 1. I'll quote you some verses right quick. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How are we in Christ? Well, in Christ is a pretty good place to be because there is no condemnation. In whom we have forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His blood. Ephesians 1 and 7. In Christ we have the forgiveness of sin. 2 Timothy 2 and 10. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So in Christ there is salvation, but no condemnation. Forgiveness of sin according to the blood, and we have salvation. I mean, we can just keep going. Being in Christ, that's the most important thing. If you walk in Christ, in the life, and you've been in Christ. You've been put into Christ. As Colossians 1, 15, or 13 through 15 says, we're translated out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son. If you walk in Christ, how do you get in Christ? Well, I thought you would ask. I'm just waiting on it. Look at Romans 6 and 3. Now we can go through three or four verses. It all says the same thing. Know ye not, or don't you remember, in the Greek idiom, that so many of us as were, here's the word the devil hates. I've never known a rascal to hate a word more than he hates this one. I want you to look it up. I was on a radio program one time. This old boy kept saying, you know, all you got to do, and they did my daddy the same way. And so I had an easy way to answer his question because I followed what my daddy had done, and it worked real well. Daddy was on the radio in Kingsport, Tennessee, and they kept complaining about him talking about baptism. And the radio manager brought him in and said, Now, O.D., you do a good job preaching the gospel. If you just wouldn't say too much about that baptism, if you just leave it off, then we can continue your time on this program. Daddy said, Okay. So the next time he was on the radio, he turned to the book of Acts, the 22nd chapter and the 16th verse. 
And he said, Ananias said, Why is Terry's thou arise and be? There's that word, ladies and gentlemen, at the announcer of this station, and I have agreed that I can't use, will be saved. And so he got over to Romans 6 and 3. It says, Know ye not that so many of us was... And there's that word, ladies and gentlemen, that the radio station announcer and I have agreed that I can't use or baptize him or bury him to his death. And every time he'd come to the word baptism, he'd stop and say, And now there's that word. And the announcer was in there and No, no, that makes it worse. Now everybody's going to know what it is. <laughs> well, I did the same thing. We're great. This guy said, you just got to put baptism back into your preaching. I never thought I'd ever say that. But that makes it so much more uh, predominant. I, I said, well, look, it's not my plan. Look, as many of us as were, there's that word, ladies and gentlemen, the devil hates. I mean, that rascal hates this word worse than anything I've ever known. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ, Paul had the audacity to use it in the verse two or three times, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with Christ by, there's that word again, baptism into death. Now this idea that people have, that you don't have to be baptized to be saved, means that they don't want to wash away the sins of the dead body. Now the body doesn't sin, but the body is contaminated by the sin. And so you wash it in water as it is sprinkled in blood. And your sins are gone. But if you don't understand what's being discussed, some denominational preacher can get up and say, Well, I don't believe God be baptized to be saved. Well, you've got to watch these people that talk to you about what I don't believe. If they had a verse of Scripture to back that up, they'd be doing like we do. Well, now the Bible says in Acts 22, 16, I don't tell you what I believe. You yet don't know that I believe that baptism saves you. I can show you that Simon Peter thought it did. Look at 1 Peter 3.21. The light figure wherein to even baptism did also now save us. I can show you where baptism cuts the sin loose from the soul. Colossians 1.11. See, I'm not telling you what I believe. I'm citing you a book, chapter, and verse. And I said, look, what are you going to do when you stand before God Almighty if you deny these words now? How are you going to deny that? Look at Colossians 1.11. It's not my idea. I'm not this smart. I don't even try to be. In whom we've been circumcised with the circumcision not made with hands through the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him by baptism into death. When you're raised through the faith of it. Colossians 2. What did I say? Oh, excuse me, not Colossians. What? I'm thanking you. I, I didn't do that on purpose, but it's a good thing to do. You've got to look at this right verse. Colossians 2, 11, verse 12. Buried with him by baptism and the death wherein you raised through the faith of the operation of God. So the very fact that denominationalism is taught that you can have water sprinkled on you, they're trying to sprinkle the wrong part. Now, if you can find some denominational water that will get to the soul, we'll buy a little But it ain't for sale. If you could find some uh, denominational sprinkling of water that'll wash the entire body, you ain't going to know the difference between sprinkling and immersion then. Let me be honest with you. You see, what the Bible teaches, what the Holy Spirit has had written, 
What the Word of God employs is that the words themselves are the defense of the truth and a correction of denominational doctrine. So you say, well, what am I going to do, Joe? I had water sprinkled on me. Now this was, I had this kid, and they were doing like, we used to cut lumber, and we used to take these logs, and we'd run that log right up into the, the, the chainsaw, or to the saw, and cut that lumber up. And they had this kid, and they were using it. I thought, man, they're cutting that kid up. They were running that kid's head, and then somebody had a, some water flowing on it, and sprinkling on it as they got in there. I said, boy, that looks smart. And they called themselves, come back to the first church. Well, the first church never practiced sprinkling for baptism. But the fact is that baptism was used and is used today as the church of Christ, which is the first church, began to teach the doctrine. But when your denomination, which is long way off from the first church, came along and said, no, you don't have to be immersed. You can have water sprinkled on you. They don't tell you they changed the word tarantizo instead of baptizo, but you know, that's for people who understand the Greek, I guess. So the Word of God has given us a means to understand. Now Simon Magus, hearing, believed, and was baptized, Acts 8 and 12, and Philip was preaching, and he went on down and found this eunuch, and the eunuch was uh, reading and from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, and the Bible says in Acts 8 and 35, and Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Methodism. Somebody said, boy, I've been wanting to find a Methodist church in the Bible all my life. What verse was that? Well, I'm sorry. I did to you what I didn't mean to do a while ago and give you the wrong verse. No, he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Calvinism. Well, somebody's been wanting to try and find Calvin, and Calvin would be happy too, because he might be able to get out of hell. But if, uh, I, what, what we, did he begin at the same scripture and preached unto him Roman Catholicism? Now, if the Roman Catholic Church was the first church, you'd think that the, uh, Philip began at the same scripture and would preach unto him Roman Catholicism. No. What did he do? He began at the same scripture and preached unto him. Jesus. And they came on their way, the next verse says, into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now watch this and see if you get sprinkling out of it. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized. Oh, somebody said, well, he just grabbed a little water and sprinkled it on his head there. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you're a fool's fun and you go for fool's gold, you go for a fool's gospel. He took him down into the water. He baptized him in the water. And the next part of the verse says, and as they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Washing a dead body. At the same time Christ sprinkles the soul and spirit. And removes. It's not a work that we can do. It's a work that he does. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done. Titus 3.5. But it's according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration. 
and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Ah, oh, Christ's blood speaks far greater things than that of Abel. Abel's blood spoke to remembrance of sin. Christ's blood speaks to the forgiveness of sin. If you're here this morning and not obeyed the gospel of Christ, don't let this day go by without you becoming a Christian or a child of God. If you're listening on the radio program and you hear this and you want to be baptized into Christ, call. We'll be glad to meet you and baptize you into Christ based upon your comprehension and understanding of the Word of God so that you can be saved of your, from your sin. And then the Lord can do you the greatest favor He ever has done a human being in His life. You said, what is that, down on the cross of Calvary? No. No, that's not the greatest thing the Lord ever did for you. The greatest thing that Jesus Christ can ever do for a human being is to add you to the church of Christ. And he does that because your sins have been washed away. Do I have a proof text for that? Oh, now you know I do. Listen. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Acts 2.41. Acts 2.47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Will you come as we stand and sing? We hope you have profited from today's study of the mind of God. If you would like a tape of today's program, write to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida, 34982. Remember, never take man's word, only God's word, the Bible, demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept as belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of In Search of the Mind of God with Minister Joe Wilson. As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment, you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Good evening. It's good to see everyone here tonight. Tonight, I'd like to talk a little bit about what it is that we're trying to prove. So three to five times a week, I usually go to CrossFit to go to workout. It's a combination of cardio, strength training, and learning about the physiology of our bodies and the nutrients that it requires to balance out the correct proportion of carbs, fats, proteins. And during this time, I always try to work out with Leanna whenever it's possible and schedule permits. But why? Why do we go and exercise? Why go to a gym and get in the CrossFit? Why pay someone to sweat and train and get sore? Different people have different reasons, and there are many, many reasons. Let me note just three reasons. Some people work out to compete or to prepare for some sort of competition that they have. If you work out and go to the gym to compete with other people who work out, you'll always meet someone who is always bigger and stronger and better developed than you are. Trust me. I feel pretty good back squatting 235 pounds. Then I look over and see another guy back squatting over 400 pounds in the bar, and the bar is bending as they're back squatting it and getting it up, which is to me is pretty impressive. I know I'm not going to be able to get there because I'm not a big guy. <laughs> now, some people work out, or sorry, some people f- work out to feel better about themselves. 
They try to exercise to build their self-esteem, their self-image, or even their self-confidence. That has merit, but it also has risk. With age and time, we can lose our physical ability and strength. If we invest in this concept in our physical bodies, we face a major crisis when our bodies go through and decline. Some people work out for the sake of their health. They want to become the healthiest that they can be. Sometimes after a good workout, the day before, it's a good struggle to lift the bar with no weight on it because I'm just sore. However, if I could lift 10 more pounds than someone else, that would, make, that would not make it more significant than that person. My body is just the house that I live in while I'm here on this earth. Me is the person who resides in that house. Me will continue to live after the body dies. Physically, I wanted to be the healthiest person that I can become. I want to be the healthiest so that I can, I can because I want to do things in life to the fullest. There are many things that I want to do with my life, and a healthy body is critical in doing those things, not only with my wife, but also with my kids. Making a long-term commitment to working out is the commitment to becoming and being. That becoming and being is based on a number of discoveries. Each discovery opens up a door to new possibilities. And that there is an important parallel between a long-term commitment of exercise and the long-term commitment to being with a Christian or being a Christian. In the New Testament, the Christians who were at the Church of Colossal had difficulty understanding the basic truth about a Christian existence. Paul talked to them about their misunderstanding in Colossians 3, 5, verse 11. It says, Don't be controlled by your body. Kill every desire for the wrong kind of sex. Don't be immoral or indecent or have evil thoughts. Don't be greedy, which is the same as worshiping idols. God is angry with people who disobey them by doing. People who disobey him by doing. Some manuscripts do not have these words and these things. Sorry, that was a little footnote there. I apologize. (laughs) And that is exactly what you did. When you lived among the people who behaved this way, but now you must stop doing such things. You must stop being angry, hateful, and evil. You must no longer say insulting or cruel things about others and stop lying to each other. You have given up your old way of life with its habits. Each of you is now a new person. You are becoming more and more like your creator, and you will understand him better. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or Jew or if you're circumcised or not. You may, not even, you may even be a barbarian or a skeathen, which is what Rich was talking about earlier. And I had to look and see what that was. You know, barbarian or a skeathen. Barbarians are people who could not speak Greek and would be in the lower class of society. Skeathens were people who were known for their cruelty. So it's just something just to kind of know about, a little fun fact there. And as you may be a slave for a free person... Yet Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. They had a hard time understanding that their existence before they became Christians and their existence after they became Christians were contrasting existences. The person of each of them was before, sorry, the person of each of them was before becoming a Christian, and the person each of them was after becoming Christian was distinctly two different types of people. When they became Christians, they did not become a member of a club or fraternity 
or a social organization. It was not a membership thing. It was a becoming thing. Becoming a Christian was much more than changing habits or accepting new responsibilities. As a Christian person, he or she actually became something that they never existed before. Since they as persons have become something that never existed before, their behavior, their moral conduct, and their relationships should reflect this new existence that they have. Since what they now were had not existed previously, a radical transition has occurred. The radical change should be evident in the way that they use their bodies, in the way that they use their lives, and all of their relationships as well. This new person now existed should understand that he or she has a new reason for existing. Before a new person existed, the old person was concerned about the physical, about the now, and about the gratification, and about the possessing of things. In the old person, those concerns controlled their thinking, their desires, and also their ambitions. Those things controlled their daily conduct and focused on their daily lives. They also were things that made, God's, made them God's enemies and stirred God's just anger. Also, as the saying goes, you cannot serve two masters. Paul said, But Jesus taught us and showed us that life is not about the physical, the now, the sensual gratification, or the hunger to possess. The person that you were before, you became a Christian. Indulging in sexual desires by being sexually active outside of marriage. Pursued the yearnings of desires and greed. And both of these forms of idolatry, they controlled you, and yet you served them. If you believe and understand that being being in Christ makes you a different person, then you will make these commitments. The commitment to end sexual indulgence. The commitment to kill greed within you. The commitment to destroy both of these idols in your life. You serve Christ, not the idols of sexual desire and greed. You will bring an end to all forms of abusive speech. You will stop lying to each other. These things are characterized in the old person that you were. They do not reveal the new person you have become. They should have died in you when the old person died. Let your body, your behavior, your daily life reveal the new person. Your mind, your understanding, your concepts are in continual state of transition and in a constant state of reconstruction and also reinventing yourself. How do you sustain this continual state of transition, this constant state of reconstruction? Not by the false teaching of Christ you heard, but by the correct knowledge of Christ. Jesus created us. He created me physically because he was God's agent of creation when God created people. He created me spiritually. When he forgave me, he brought me into spiritual existence as a child of God. As my accurate knowledge of understanding of Jesus grows, the renovation and reconstruction in my life continues to progress. Everyone in Christ, no matter who he or she is, no matter where he or she came from, from the lowest of the low to the highest of the highs, are in continual state of re-renovation. Please allow me to call two important facts to your attention here. Fact number one. Paul was, continuing to, Paul was writing to the people who had been Christians for a while. Obviously, these Christians did not grasp the full meaning of their baptism. 
Their comprehension of what had happened in their lives at the baptism was incomplete. They do not understand God's powerful act of placing them in Christ. God just as surely performed that spiritual, creative as he performed the creative act, brought physical life in existence. They were new persons because God acts. Even though they did not fully comprehend what happened there, even though they did not correctly understand what happened, it still happened. They needed to grow their understanding of what happened because they needed to begin the process of renovating their lives. They needed to bring their physical lives into harmony with the new person God made them. That renovation would not proceed on the basis of the false information that they heard about Jesus Christ. It would proceed on the correct knowledge of Jesus Christ. Understanding these images would produce the reconstruction of their lives. So fact number two, they need a serious commitment to reflect the new person in their physical lives. God spiritually recreated them when they were baptized in the Christ. He forgave them and breathed spiritual life into them. He purified them and clothed them in Christ. But they had not put on their new natures. This new self was not yet revealed in their behavior and in their relationships. In Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17, Paul is very specific about the expressions of the new self. God loves you and he has chosen you as his own special people. So be kind, gentle, humble, meek, and patient. Put up with each other and forgive anyone who does wrong, just as Christ has forgiven you. Love is more important than anything else. It is what ties everything completely together. Each one of you is a part of the body of Christ, and you are chosen to live together in peace. So let the peace that comes from Christ control your thoughts and be grateful. Let the message about Christ completely fill your lives. While you use all your wisdom to teach and instruct each other with thankful hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God, whatever you say or do should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, as you give thanks to God the Father because of him. Now, what were these expressions of a new self again? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, forbearance to others, forgiveness, love, peace, and even gratitude. Now, God gives us our new spiritual existence, but we must renovate our lives. We must allow those qualities to control our physical existence. When we are baptized, we tend to view the, the Christian life as a very doable commitment. At first, we think that it's just a matter of deeds. Replace bad habits and acts with good habits and acts, right? Then we learn it, and it involves our thinking. So it requires some re-education as a result of it. Then we learn that it involves our emotions. So we need to change the way we feel. And the transition begins, and then it becomes very complicated. Then we learn that it involves our motives. So we must deal with it, why we do what we do, and then it becomes even more complicated. And then we begin to learn how it entwined evil is within our deepest itself. We realize that the facts we believe, the stand that we take, the doctrines that we defend are actually spiritual kindergarten. We begin to wake up to the real me and see 
how much reconstruction the real me actually needs. That is when we finally understand how totally dependent we are on the forgiveness, mercy, love of God we receive each day. Every time we reach a new level of understanding, we face a new challenge of putting on the new self, of remaking our motor, sorry, of making renovations in our lives. Then we discover that being a Christian involves so much more as a result of it. Then belonging to Christ Church, then defending Christian principles, then deciding a position to take on an issue, then preserving a religious heritage. Certainly each of these has a level of importance and significance. But we discover that there is something more important, something more significant that lies deep within the foundation of that new self. Being a Christian is a constant process of becoming. We are constantly growing towards the image of Jesus. We are constantly concerned about the renovation of our lives. We are always involved in the process of putting on the new self. As Christians, you and I are not in competition with each other. You are not not measured by me, and I am not measured by you. No two Christians start off renovating life at the same place. No two Christians need identical renovations. The process of renovation may not even look similar for us. The starting point for each of us doesn't really matter. No matter where we are in the starting point is for each of us, we are all involved in the same process, the process of putting on our new self. If you ask me what I'm trying to prove at the gym, I would tell you nothing. I go because I'm in the process of becoming, of being not of trying to prove something. If you were to ask me what I'm trying to prove as a Christian, I would tell you nothing. I'm in the process of becoming, of being, not trying to prove anything. If you are here and would like to obey the gospel and reinvent yourself and reconstruct yourself by immersing yourself in the watery grave of baptism, come on down. We've got water prepared for you as we stand and sing. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.